After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to Mind Rolling, and uh, I'm Raghu Marcus, and my buddy? Uh, well, yes, David Silver. <laughs> <laughs> David, uh, today we have uh, a mutual friend on the show, on the podcast, uh, but uh, you're going to introduce Peter because uh, you've been friends with him longer than I, and you yes, know more I've had that. of his yes. past. I've had that honor. Well, it's Dr. Peter Goldsmith. And it's Peter is the person I would find impossible to describe. I met him in 1994 when we both did a television show together, which Peter produced and directed, and I wrote. And he was a, a pretty well-established mainstream television producer at that time. And it was a show for ESPN called Max Out, which was a, the, really the first show that put extreme sports and rock and roll and reggae and ska music together. MTV asked us to do it. Uh, no, ESPN asked us to do it, to compete with MTV in the afternoon for the teenage demographic. And we did, I think, 175 of those shows or something like that. Uh, Peter has five Emmys, so he's not to be uh, sniffed at as a television professional. It's very hard to be a television. So well, welcome, Peter. Peter's also a scholar and um, someone uh, who has managed to maintain a, a situation in mainstream media and also pursue uh, various serious spiritual paths. And um, that's always an interesting kind of combo to Raghu and myself. Peter, so, so that mind know. rolling, it's all about, uh, we're, we're trying to share the sort of a down-to-earth, day-to-day, how to get along around consciousness, how to navigate the culture all of that, that's kind of what we're, we're hoping to share with people and get other people coming in and sharing their thing. And uh, so, so one of the things we, we always ask uh, somebody who comes along, in the very beginning when we started this thing, we talked about uh, what were the triggers for our transformation into realizing there was some way to happiness at the most basic level. So we talked about stuff that turned us on in the 60s, what uh, what are the things you remember when you were a kid? That uh, what were you going through? Were you going through angsty times with your family, with uh, your your environment, and so on and so forth? Before I answer that, and I, and I will answer it, I love the fact that my British friend here says I'm not someone to be sniffed at. I, I prefer that. I prefer to be sniffed, and as a matter of fact, most of the time when I walk into a room. I am sniffed quite often by the people in the room. You are. So which is like a, the dogs. Exactly, yes. exactly. Uh, and well, uh, I want to remind you, this is what it's called an idiom, and it has nothing to do with the organ. If I can say one thing, we're now on this side of the pond. Oh, so okay. Now, okay. Now, now let me, let me Raghu, let me uh, give you an answer for your question, because um, truthfully, my life has been ruled by absolute, coincidence if you believe in coincidence and i'll give you an example many years ago uh my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife at this time and i lived in berkeley california and uh, like most people in those days we had absolutely no money whatsoever uh, we are and still are vegetarians and have been for 40 some odd years now and there was a cafe in uh berkeley 
that had a large picture of Meher Baba on the wall. And it had, of course, Baba's uh, saying, don't worry, be happy. And uh, you could go in there and for two bucks, you could get a bowl of soup and some rice and beans and, you know, some vegetables. And uh, it was a wonderful place. And many times uh, we'd go in there <laughs> with a dollar sixty-five. We didn't have the two bucks and they would always give us our lunch. And I thought, you know, I don't know who this guy is, this Meher Baba guy, but he must be pretty cool if uh, his people are this cool and they let you eat and they're friendly and loving and so forth. So, so I knew Meher Baba from that reason. I then went to do a, a PhD at the University of Georgia. And while I was there, uh, a, a, a Baba lover, a Meher Baba lover by the name of Jerry Hodgin, still a good friend of mine, I haven't seen him in a while, but he's a good friend, uh, said to me, do you know about Meher Baba? And in my very humble way, and they're both smiling because I know how humble I am, not at all. I said, of course, I know everything about Meher Baba. What, else, what is there to know? And he said, uh, I'm going to go down to the Baba uh, Center. And it's beautiful. It's in Myrtle Beach. And these days, this is 1980 now, or 79. Uh, Myrtle Beach was empty. There was nothing there. It was, you know, Baba's retreat and, and basically anything else. And at the time, you know, I thought, wow, what a great place to go and get high and fool around and hang out. Sure, I'll go. Yeah, I know everything about it. And uh, so, so we did. Jerry and I drove down there and we got to our cabins. And uh, Jerry said to me, I have some things to do. And why don't you go over to the lagoon cabin? Uh, that's where Meher Baba uh, spent a lot of time and gave darshan and things of that nature. I said, yeah, okay, great. And when he left, I said, yeah, I think I'll smoke a joint right now. At the time, I was still smoking marijuana. Uh but for some reason, I didn't. I don't know why. I just, ah, maybe I'll wait. I took a walk over to the lagoon cabin. And, and, and you know, you, you two guys know me and most people know me. No, I'm not an easy. I don't have tears very easily. You know, I'm a pretty hardcore New York boy. Uh, and uh, I went into the lagoon cabin. I opened the door and I broke down in uncontrollable crying and tears. Uh, and my, my reaction was, this is a bunch of BS. Stop it. And I could just remember seeing the picture of Baba on the wall. And uh, I said, ah, screw it. I'll, I'll go and I'll go get high. And I went back to the cabinet and I couldn't get high. Just I didn't want to smoke. I just didn't want to be around it. And so I waited until the next day. We did things that evening. I waited until the next day and I went back to the cabin, the lagoon cabin, just to prove to myself that what happened the day before was not true. Uh, and I uh, stepped foot on the, on the step of the cabin and the same crying occurred mm. the same way. Uh, so then, of course, I challenged Bob. This is my method of spirituality. Oh, yeah, you, blah, 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 blah. you you can't make me cry again. You make me cry again one more time, uh, fine, I'll become a Bob lover. If not, you're full of baloney. I didn't tell anyone this at the time. And then the, same th the third day we were there, I walked into the cabin and sat down on the little chair there and cried my eyes out for an hour and a half and said, you know what, Baba? I guess I'm supposed to be a Baba lover. And that's why I came to Meher Baba, and that was my first uh, step into the spiritual path if you want to call it that i, I must cap this by saying that i've worked with hundreds thousands of television professionals as a matter of fact at high and low levels whatever i've never met anybody who was more hard-nosed than peter in terms of when you're working with him of things getting done and the pragmatic reality of what has been done and what hasn't been done never yelled at me but never yelled at anyone not yelling but just very firm and utterly you know without despotic is the word <laughs> despotic tyrannical and totally untakeable and so you know it's interesting to hear about crying out with spontaneously at a place where the the, the baba had not been forever mm. uh so that makes it much more yeah. much richer for me you know ragu like had you done psychedelics all I could get my hands on. Before this happened. Yeah. My, growing up, you know, for us as a child of the 60s, for me, uh, you know, our motto was, if you don't know what it is, only take one. So we would, if we had nothing to do on a Friday night, somebody would say, you want to take a hit of acid and go right on the, on the subway? We'd say, that's a great idea. <laughs> so yes, I took every kind of psychedelic that I could get my hands on. So you had, uh, obviously, then you connected and, and understood there was another reality other than the senses and ego, that there was an, a connect. You understood the connectivity, obviously, through that before you uh, bumped into Mayor Baba. I did. 
Yeah, I did. But, you know, to, to give you a Baba analogy, I realized uh, that I was a drop in the ocean, which is something Baba says all the time that we are. But I didn't realize which way I was going or what was happening or how I was connected or anything important to that nature. The ego mind for me at that point was uh, all I thought about. Self-survival, mm-hmm. right. you know. Right, yeah. yeah. So uh, after the Baba event, after, after, I mean, basically what you're describing to me is having darshan of Mayor Baba without, obviously he wasn't in a body at that time, but we have plenty of experiences like that. Know plenty of people who have that same experiences, mm-hmm. you know, with Neem Karoli Baba, mm-hmm. that's a common thing after all these books Ram Dass has written and so on. Mm-hmm. But um, at that point, going forward, then you had that reality as a focus, as a vantage point from where you, you know, yeah. dipped into life yeah. after that. Yeah, I always believed in my mind that there was another reality, that it was a supra reality, but I had no idea that it was enterable by me. Um, and once I started to, uh, to, uh, I don't know what the right word is. I'll use the wrong word, but I think it'll be clear. Except that Baba had. Uh, enlightenment and and could and could show me ways of enlightening m- me mm-hmm. through my own work and my own study and my own whatever a course I was going to take. Then I be- that became a, a central part of my life, and it it has been since that day. It it is right now. I mean, I I consider that uh, I, I I undergo or, or or undertake spiritual practices 365 days a year. Uh, without fail. I mean, I don't, I don't awaken without spending at least an hour in spiritual practice every day Mm. by my own choice. I'm not saying I I don't adhere to any specific, well, that's not true either, but my own choice, let's leave that. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, a a lot of what David and I talk about and, and we've been, talking directly to the community that seems to have arisen, you know, a nice uh, group that's interested in what we're talking about. And, and a lot of it is certainly around how do we navigate day to day this life with, with a vantage point coming outside of, of ego mind where we seem to get into a lot of trouble and sucked into a, a lot of things that are destructive, destructive emotions, thought, uh, and action. And so a lot of what we're talking about is trying to bring whatever it is that we bumped into, mm. uh, you know, mm. and, and that makes sense to, to share on a, on a, mm. on a very practical level. Mm. So uh, one of the things we were talking about actually yesterday, um, David and I, was uh, we just noticed that we, David had done, or we both did, but uh, an interview with Ramdas many years ago. And we just found the transcript and we were just going through it. And in it, he describes his experience when Maharaji, when he met him, and he said, your mother died of spleen, which nobody could know, spleen cancer. And he said spleen in English. When he said that word in English, then Ramdas fell apart like you did when mm. you walked in that mm. door. Mm. And, we were call, and we've been calling that uh, an implant. There was an implant at that point where you could not turn back. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, you, you were just going to be constantly, you know, going through, obviously, tons of stuff. But moving forward, you could not turn back and believe anything of the ego mind, uh, that that reality was no longer your, your ground. Um, what's your experience in, in that sense? You, you know, uh, scientifically, anything that's true or that has truth can be proven under many circumstances. In other words, if I do an experiment and I, I claim that my results are true, then you ought to be able to replicate the experiment in your, in your laboratory and David in his laboratory and so forth and so on. That's how we establish that, that the results are valid. I find the same thing with the quote-unquote, I'm using spiritual in a very uh, you know umbrella-like way. I think if you look at all the great disciplines of the world, all the the essence and core of spiritual discipline, you will find the same things at the base of all of them. You will find almost everyone saying the pretty much the same thing with the same results. And that indicates to me that there is a truth there. And that truth is there is a higher state 
that we would like to achieve because it'll give us something which we cannot get in this state. We live in a very temporary place right now. Our lives are guided by uh, ego mind, by whatever we may get involved with, commercial ventures, so forth and so on. But all of us in the heart of hearts know, and I think the Dalai Lama has said this, I'm not sure, but I'll say it anyway. Um, joy is, is momentary and happiness is permanent. So for us to achieve true happiness, we know we need to step outside of ourselves. We need to get involved in something bigger than ourselves, a higher cause than ourselves. And, and for that, we need to take a look at, quote unquote, the spiritual world. And, and for me, it's always been understanding that, and I, again, I'm a terrible egoist. And you guys, know, you guys <laughs> know me and you know that's absolutely true. I am. Uh, but, but at the core of my being, in essence, I know that I'm not really that important, that the real truth is I'm here to perform a service, whatever that service is, uh, and, and, to, and to teach. I mean, we're all teachers, regardless of who we are, and the only way we can teach is by doing. You know, you can, you, you, if you have a child, you know you can talk to your kid till he's blue, you're blue in the face, and he's blue in the face, or she is, and they don't care. But if you act a certain way and your child sees you acting that way on a regular basis, they will act that way because they will understand that's the correct way to act. Well, it's the same thing with anything else, you know. In your regular life, if you, if you really have a desire to make this world, this, this existence right now, better, and you should act that way. And by learning whatever discipline it may be, you know, I've been, you know, I'm, my, my disciplines now, of course, I... Uh, I, I pay attention a lot to Baba and I read a lot about Baba. But my, uh, my discipline is now, for the last 29 or 30 years, um, has been Judaism. Uh, not so much religion as the spiritual precepts of it. And, uh, you know, I read that and learn that every day and, and try to remember that the spiritual world is, and you guys know this, is it's real simple. You know, the first year or two or three, it's the honeymoon period. I think everybody says that. Oh, it's great. I, I'm in love with Mayor Baba. Baba's so great. Baba did this, Baba did this. Well, until you get evicted from your apartment for failure to pay rent and your girlfriend leaves you for the guy down the block and your dog dies. And you're like, holy jeez, Baba, what'd you do to me? Then you just left the honeymoon period and now you're in the real life period. How are you going to deal with all of this stuff? Well... The idea, and David and I were talking about this before, and, and you know, David was talking about a retreat. The retreat helps you get tools for this stuff, but the real world is the laboratory. And to prove the truths that you already know in the laboratory means I can prove them here, and David can prove them in, in, in Riverdale, and you can prove them here where you live, Raghu. You know, it's, it's like that. And we know what the truths are, but they're hard to get to. You know, this isn't easy stuff. I mean, how do you continually realize in, in the face of madness and anger, you know, that, that that's not the right result? And I was reading a, a, a quote from Mayor Bob. I'm telling David this before. I'm reading this book called uh, Mehera and Mayor, or Mayor and Mehera. I should know, but it's, it's Mayor. It was uh, Baba's uh, woman disciple, chief woman disciple. And, uh, and, and Baba was telling the Mandali, his close people, I want you to get angry. You, you have to get angry. You're, you're people. But I want you to control the anger. I want you to feel it and control it and put it away and, and use it. You know, do not not get angry. Do not try to remove yourself from the world because you can't. We live in a world. You know, this guy's going to cut you off this afternoon when you're driving somewhere. Uh, you, you know, it's going to happen. You're going to drop a jar of pickles when you go have all these things. So we need to learn to deal with that. And the way to deal with that is to understand that you're not that important, really, that you are a teacher, that your actions are continually observed. And, you know, you, you live in it. It's, you know, as, as, my, uh, as my beloved wife always says to me, uh, it's not the situation. It's how you deal with the situation. You're going to get mud thrown in your face every day. How are you going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. So. This is it. Yeah, but it is interesting that, uh, to me, fascinating about anger, anger in particular, that, you know, repressing it is just like, you know, Freud said or whatever, you know, that that doesn't work. But the idea of being able to see your anger and then it becomes, it fades eventually when your awareness, when you, you know, you tune into the larger, deeper awareness. And every time you get angry at a certain point in your life, oh my goodness, if you do get angry, moments afterwards, you want to change this. You, you want to, re, you know, redress it. 
And there's no walking, stalking out and staying angry anymore because it hurts you so much. Um, for 24 hours, apparently, bio-neurologically, and maybe for much longer than that. You know, so I, th I, I so sympathize with what you're saying that obviously to say I'm not angry when you are or, or you know, making a, a, just an illusion of your whole life doesn't work. And, yeah. and it works so much better when you practice in some way, it doesn't matter what, to be able to distance yourself with a larger awareness at the moment of anger at least and say, oh, look at what I'm doing. Mm. And it's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, you can, it's not hard, but if you don't start on some kind of, if something doesn't stimulate you, some teacher, some tradition, uh, usually an esoteric tradition, not an exoteric one. Because mm -hmm. you were saying before, very interesting, right? Saying, well, all of, the, all of the disciplines are the same. And that's true, but not the exoteric version of it. In other words, people fight wars and kill each other out of it because of religion. But if they were to look at the, what they all stand for with some nuances of change, yeah, they're I, all saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Know? I don't know why I said that. But why did I say no, that? No, 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 no. Because what you're saying, I, I agree with, you know, and, and what we do is, you know, we are, we are tribal animals. And so if you're a this, if you're a Christian and I'm a Buddhist and he's a Muslim and he's a Jew and he's a Jain and he's a this, so we all have our own little tribes. And, and in those tribes, we try to construct metaphors that will make us understand. You know, religion-like philosophy is simply a tool to allow the universe to reveal itself to you in terms which you understand, period. That's all it is. It's not any more than that. Hmm. If you understand the universe through a series of metaphors, you're more comfortable and able to deal with it. Like you were just saying about anger. You need to have tools to deal with anger. You know, you need to have, you need to have the, the, the right, the right things that, you know, okay, so now I'm really furious at, at my girlfriend or my wife or my boss or whatever it is. What am I going to do about it? How do I have a tool to allow me to, overcome this kind of stuff you know and i don't think you have to be a great uh, re, you know a religious person or spiritual person to say okay cool i'm done i'm pissed i'm unhappy i'm going to take a walk i did a show many years ago i, I think you know this david uh, for trinity broadcast it was called quiet triumphs it's a wonderful show produced by uh, a guy named me i produced it along with a partner my name doug wiles and uh, the host was mary alice williams who was one of the first uh, anchors on cnn and mm -hmm. a very spiritual woman very very lovely woman very very smart woman too and, and the idea of the show quiet triumphs is we would take a hollywood quote-unquote celebrity and do a one-on-one -on -one with mary alice and and the concept was tell us how you overcame a very difficult time in your life and some people said, well, I became an, uh, an ardent Catholic. Some people said, you know what? When things got hard, I sat down and, and, and sipped a glass of water. I took a walk in the woods. I sang. I did whatever. You know, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're aware of what you're trying to do. Hmm. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to dispel the anger, the hatred, the uneasiness from my physical body. I know that it will also leave my mental and spiritual body after that. And I have a method that works for me. Fine. Go ahead and do it. It's all the same, you know. It, it, it's 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 metaphorical, you know. Like the, you know, the word the word, uh, you know, chi energy. We ever, the Chinese talk about chi. The Japanese talk about ki. The Indians talk about you know uh, breath. It's the same stuff. It's exactly the same. Again, truth being being you know uh, held its feet to the fire in different laboratories at different times. Same. It's the same. You know, do you think that Judaism and Christianity and, and, and Islam are any different? I mean, they all agree to the same father, Abraham. They all agree to the same. And it's one of the things that makes me crazy. Uh, the Jewish people pray three times a day. The Muslim people pray five times a day. And yet in the Middle East, those guys still find time to fight each other <laughs> after praying a combined eight times a day. I mean, what's wrong with them, man? You know, uh, you know, it, it's like that. I don't I don't. I don't think the spiritual world is any different than going bowling. You know, it's just something that you do. If you want to be a good bowler, you got to go bowling all the time. You got to practice your bowling. If you want to be a spiritual person, you got to practice your spiritual practice, whatever that may be. You you want to learn to play the banjo? Well, <laughs> you should have brought your banjo. I, I, you know what? Had I brought my banjo, this would have gotten ugly really quick. <laughs> the banjo we for me has become the most humbling thing I've ever done in my life. I, 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 I have no musical ability. I have musical ability, but I never used it. That's what I'm supposed to say now. So my teacher told me. Uh, <laughs> and, and I've taken this uh, banjo and tried to play it, and it has humbled me no end. Uh, it's infuriated me. It's made me crazy. Many times I've threatened to take the blowtorch to the banjo. Mm. 
uh, or, or to myself. Uh, you know, it, it's difficult, but it, it's it's all know, right. I want to talk thing. about something else. All right, here we go. Right. I mean, because Canadians one, just get right to it. Yeah, so. we get to it. One of the things we're not talking about how to navigate day to day is, I think, one of the absolutely most important things. And I'd like you all, both of you, you think of some example in your life that would reflect having a sense of humor about our predicament. Oh, stump the panel. Silence. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, in your workplace, bringing consciousness to anything, seeing yourself caught in the most ridiculous situations where you've made the wrong choices. You know, if I, I grew up in New York City, and so uh, if you can't grow up in New York City without a sense of humor. You can't. And you can never take yourself seriously. You can never uh, put too much emphasis on any event or anything. So for me, I mean, I just want to be a wise guy. I mean, you know, I haven't seen David in a long time until today. The first thing we started doing was just, you know, ragging each other about stuff, you know, because we love each other. So, I mean, for me, that's part of life. Uh, you, you... I, I, I have a, something that just came into my mind. In 1970, long time ago, I did a, an actual network television show called America Incorporated. And it was about the, you know, the corporatization of America, except it was a drama and I was in it playing myself. And it went out, it was the first NET Playhouse back then. And it was all over America, which is unusual. And I was um, driving my blue Volkswagen in Harvard Square uh, the day after the show was on the air, and I saw two bedraggled hippies on Mass Ave, thumbing, you know, and I picked them up, they didn't look at me, they got in the back and sort of trundled into the back of my Volkswagen, and we drove for a while, and then one of the hippies said to me, so what do you do for a living? And I said television, feeling very, you know, good about myself, because I'd just done this TV show, you know, and he said, oh, you mend them? <laughs> and for the life of me, I couldn't say no. So I said, oh, I, I, I'm good with them, yes, <laughs> which is so wrong. I'm terrible at everything. And he said, oh, that's, that's must be, there's a lot of TVs. You must get a lot of work. <laughs> so I said, well, yeah, yeah, I get work. And um, I took them to, uh, I guess, I took them a long way uh, to uh, Starro Drive or somewhere so they could get a lift out of town. And they got out of the car, and the young hippie looked in when he got out at me. And he said, you don't fucking men televisions. I saw you on TV yes last night. <laughs> okay. About seven years after that, I was in an A&P on um, Columbus Avenue and 73rd Street. And all I wanted was a chocolate egg, a Cadbury's chocolate egg. There were lines kind of around the block in this A&P. So... I decided to steal the chocolate egg. And um, I um, stole the chocolate egg no. and put it in my pocket. And then I had second thoughts. And I decided to wait in line. And one of the other people in the line looked at me and said, I saw you on television last night. <laughs> I did a talk show called Free Time with Abby Hoffman. And uh, I was absolutely, I just loved this moment so much. Wow. I said, oh, you saw the show? And she said, yeah, I saw you last night at 11.30. It was a great show. It was live. I couldn't believe what you guys were doing. I said, thank you. And I was just beaming. At that point, a policeman came behind me, <laughs> took my hands and said, I'm going to handcuff you. <laughs> the entire line was watching this. And I said, for what? He said, for the egg in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I said, surely not, like that. He said, surely, yes. And then the manager of the MP came and said, there's no need for this. We called you just to let you know this person had stolen something, but we just wanted to caution him. The entire queue was oh watching my this. God. Wow. And then the, this statement was made by the manager. He said, Mr. Silver, you're banned from this AMP for life. <laughs> and I just said okay, and crawled out of there very happily. Actually. And did you did you pay for the egg? 
I paid for forty. <laughs> I paid forty cents for the egg. But what I remember about it is it's a ridiculous story. But the truth of the matter on both of those occasions, ego was involved. You know, and one of them where you know I really wanted to be liked. Uh, you don't have to be famous or anything to be liked or to be loved. But I love the fact that a person recognized me. And the thing is, I was no yeah. big star, believe you me. And I thought, wow, one person saw my show. Yeah. Then immediately after was there was, the, you know, the hand of fate. <laughs> And, and you know, a, a year later, I went into A M P, and and bought something, and uh, sure enough, the the manager, same manager, came up to me and said, I, "You're banned from here." You know, that. no, oh, absolutely yeah, true. No. Ask my second wife. I, I and I said, "I'm so sorry, Just I forgot." Ask my second wife. Yeah, no, no. And, and he said, "You know something? We'll waive this. It's fine. It's fine." Right. But you know, well, I did actually steal that egg. I had no two ways about it. I I stole it. So, you know, I wasn't supposed to steal things, obviously. I was mean, this last month? <laughs> oh, this was in 1970. Uh, I've been married. It was 75. 75. Even that's not so good. I was 30. And, and I'd never stolen anything in my life, actually. But I really wanted that egg end immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. Why would you? Yeah. It's never left me. It's vivid in my head because there's nothing worse than being apprehended. Because at that moment, then, how can you bring your spiritual, any, any kind of redemptive behavior to, because you feel so terribly humiliated, you know? I mean, a lot of young people listen to this podcast, Peter. A lot of, uh, much younger people than we are. And, and Speak for yourself. Well, no, you're, you're like a day younger than me. And I know Peter's very young. Um, a month younger than you. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, with younger folks who haven't, you know, had 40 years of experience of various ridiculous experiences like the one I just related. How, what is the most direct way to, you know, to advise people about what do you do in the difficult times when you don't have a guru that you can, you know, surrender to immediately and, and, and you don't have much versing in these disciplines of awareness, self-awareness? I think you go back to your inner self because everybody in the world knows what's right and wrong. Everybody knows what's right and wrong. You could ask anybody in, in listening to this podcast. He just went into a store and stole something, and you said everybody no, knows steal right. It. No, no. What he did was he was going to steal, but then he came back. Yeah, and I came went back online. to the line. I did. I did. He knew in his inner being. I did. That this is not cool. I shouldn't be stealing this egg. I'm, I'm going to question the forty cents on the egg. But that's another story entirely. Those eggs were ninety nine cents in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe. But you know, you know what's right and wrong. Nobody. You don't. You know, I always love this thing. This is the self-help section. Well, if it's self-help, then why do you need a book? Why are you reading someone else's book? If it was self-help, you'd do it. It's like someone else helping me section. That's what it really should be called. Everybody knows what to do. Innately, we know what's right and what's wrong. We do. So if you can, you know, it's not easy to get there. And, you know, you may have to practice how to get there and so forth and so on. But in times of real crisis, when you rely on yourself, in my opinion, 99% of the time, you're going to come out okay. Yeah. You know. Well, if, it's if a matter of how connected you are with your truer intuitive self, shall we call it, or as we, as in our tradition, is about the spiritual heart, and that if your vantage point is from there, you have uh, way more of a, a chance of, of doing the right thing and truly understanding what is... I mean, there are people, for instance, I love this, uh, we keep bringing up... We talk about it on our podcast. We have three people we talk about that, you know, our, our mentors or something. One of them is Trogium Trungpa Rinpoche. And uh, he had a whole thing called idiot compassion. So, yes, you know right from wrong, but there's a, that's, there's a, that, that's, there's a super, superficial level of that. He was talking about the level at like, I want to really help you out in a certain way to make your life easier. And in that doing, I may be doing the opposite of what is needed for you in that moment. And he termed that idiot compassion. Yeah, but you know what? There's the old Zen parable, and you know this better than I and David does too. You know, is it good or is it bad? Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, actually, I went to the movies last night. We saw some experimental movies uh, here in, in Asheville. And uh, these guys in one of those movies were talking about the Zen parable. It's like, you know, uh, a guy uh, 
a, a guy meets a guy that he knows and the guy's owed him money for 25 years and he walks up to him and gives him a check for the thousand dollars he owes him and and the and the the, uh, the student says to the master that's incredible the master says well is it good or is it bad and then they the check gets cash but they realize that the guy had written a bad check so this guy goes to jail and he's all to oh my gosh master what am i going to do the master says good or is it bad and it goes on and on and on right. like that yes, it's never yes, ending yes. you know so the point is you know any compassion is you need to start somewhere you know you need to start somewhere you need you need to say to yourself okay you know, I'm in trouble right now. What do I need to do? Right now, I don't want to learn the whole Zohar or the whole, you know, Diamond Sutra. I don't want to know that right now. What I need to know right now is my girlfriend just left me or my boss just fired me or there's some crisis in my life right now. And God forbid it could be worse than that. Um, I need to deal with this. What am I going to do? I believe in my heart that everyone will get that answer. Now, they may not get the full answer and they may only get part of an answer that's, you know, correct or incorrect for them but at least they'll get something and when that something works then they'll get more and more and more and i, I really think that you you know you're driven into the spiritual realm because you really want to be there everybody wants to be there something well it takes too much time i don't like the trappings of the quote-unquote religion but everybody well, wants to be mostly there. suffering certainly drives yeah. you yes yes because you you yes. want to change and yeah. you look for ways to do that yeah. So that's obviously the Buddha, right? Yeah. Life. Oh, absolutely, suffering. absolutely. And I, I, you know, I, I have this uh, blind faith in human people. I think that most everybody, really, once they, you know, I think the universal truth is every person living on this earth wants the same thing. They want to be loved, and to get, they want to get and receive, get and give love. They want to be fed and clothed, and they want to have shelter over there heads everything else is a secondary elaboration yeah i'd like a new porsche yeah i'd like a brioni suit yeah i'd like tickets to the yankees yeah 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 so on so on all of those don't matter the the initial ones of love and and and, and shelter and food and those kinds of things that's universal and with that goes the desire for things and once you have desire you know you're involved in in maya and I'm not saying I don't have it. I have it more than anybody else. I want this. I want that. I want everything. But you realize it's a desire. You know, when we when I, we we recently moved uh, houses, and we lived in the first house for I think 20 years or something, and uh, I had thousands of books, and 20 cartons of those books disappeared. Whether the mover, who knows what happened to them? And my first reaction was just furious just furious mm -hmm. these books cannot and, and a lot of them were my journals since i've had since i've been 15 mm. years old yeah i was just furious and after a few weeks of, of fury <laughs> i realized two things number one yell and stamp all you want you're not getting them back because they're lost and number two who cares they're just books and things you know you'll remember them as you know as you remember them and and, and you know it, it's things like that you're forced into it i mean i could still stamp and yell and scream and, and be pissy about it but not getting them back is not going to help. I think people are, are smart enough to realize that. You know, time heals, heals all wounds, whatever that saying is. It does. It does. We can't go backwards. You know, we can go forward. Uh, we can live in the present. We can, to quote uh, your friend Ramdas, we can be here now. We can look toward the future, but the past, it's over. There's no way anyone that I know can change the past. Uh, so, you know, it, it all begins right this second for me. All right, I'm going to change the subject again because it's too weighty for me. <laughs> I mean, you know, the guy is just, it's he's hard. Canadians. No, he's I, hard, I man. He's hard. Right, I know, ahead. I go do ahead. this. Go ahead. Silver, yeah. Silver's dying over here, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no. Tell us something about, uh, let's talk about a little bit of experiences. I mean, you were in the television people. You were working with celebrities and personalities. Tell us some dirt on something or other. Oh. Come on. How spiritual is that? How is that? Oh, I'm, you know, we uh, yeah, just want to change gears, and lighten it up here. Well, it's all spiritual. There I'll tell you. I'll tell you an yeah. interesting thing. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give one. I'll give you a real show business, right? And I'll give you a plug at the end of it too. How about oh, that? Good. This is really good. 
So I had the great fortune. I was, you know, before I got into television, I was a scholar. I was very smart. I had a PhD and a very bright guy and, you know, everything. And then I got into TV and I gradually became dumber and dumber and dumber, which is, which is a real <laughs> blessing for me. And then I reached the, this, I don't know if it's the zenith or the nadir of, of, of that, when I got to produce a wonderful show called The Morton Downey Jr. Show, mm. which most of your people who listen to probably don't remember it, but it was the precursor to the Jerry Springer Show. And it was a wild, uh, crazy show, which was terrific. And I loved working on it. And I, I really adored it. And, and the stories that came out of that show were endless because Morton Downey Jr. was several things. Number one, very bright guy. And under all his uh, piss and vinegar, a very good guy, but also a very crazy guy. Uh, he's a guy who had labored for more than 20 years uh, as a radio uh, shock jock that no one ever paid attention to. And then he came on television and he lit the world on fire. We were the most popular show on TV for years and so on and so on. So the stories about Morton are endless, but I'll, I'll just tell you one that's, that's kind of funny. Uh, we decided to take the show to, uh, uh, to Atlantic City. And, and Morton uh, had been divorced, I don't know how many times, I really don't, three or four and, and every woman that he saw, he would say, hey, she's looking at me. Look at her. She wants me. She wants me. <laughs> and, and we would all, yeah, 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 sure. And, and so we go to Atlantic City, and he goes, come on. Let's go. You and me. We take a walk. Let's look at some babes. I said, okay, great. We'll go look at some babes, you know. So we walk into this uh, rehearsal hall, and there's, and there's a, a, a chorus line like Rockettes kind of. And in the middle is a gorgeous blonde woman, just beautiful, wonderful. And we watch, and we watch. And he said, you see that? She wants me. She's making eyes at me. You see that? I said, I saw everything. She didn't do anything. No, you don't get it. She wants me. She, she needs me. She loves me. I said, Mort, she didn't even look at you. Yeah, you're crazy. You're fired. He used to fire, he used to fire every one of us every day and didn't have the, 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 the power to fire any of us. Anyway, to make a really long story really short, uh, three years later, he marries the woman and remains happily married with that woman for the rest of his He's passed away since. And remains happily married to that woman for the rest of his life. She really was winking at him, and she really did want to oh be with him. God. And they were happily married, and, and they were until his, his death. Now, here's the Hollywood plug. <laughs> yeah. The Morton Downey movie called Evocateur is going into theaters nationwide in May, and you will get to see me uh, both as a younger man producing the show and as the old codger that I've become being interviewed on the show. Oh, yeah. And those people who have seen it, it opened the Tribeca Film Festival, and the people who have seen it have said to me, the movie's pretty good, it's a tad long, but seeing your face on a full-size movie screen was absolutely a horror. <laughs> 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 so there's your Hollywood story for you. Well then, Evocateur? Evocateur. Evocateur. Mm -hmm. okay, produced well, by Ironbound Films out of Garrison, New York. Bright, bright young guys. Uh, good film. And I'm sure it'll get distribution. DVD. It has distribution already. And you will be able to purchase a DVD or you rent can, a DVD from... You, you can. I, Ironbound Films in Garrison, New York. I I'm have a DVD, uh, which no one has. And I, I'm, to be honest with you, I've had it for about a month now. I don't have the nerve to watch it. <laughs> but, right, but I'm trying to theaters. turn this little plug that you did for. Hey, oh, if you want to go go to the movie, I don't. No, I don't have any. No, I have no. no financial interest in the movie or anything. At we all. do. We have a financial we interest do. in Evocateur. Oh well, great. Can we explain it to you, please? It is going to be available. I am sure in the next months because it's just coming out on Amazon.com, right? Yeah, of course I guess. it will be. Yes. How else can people buy the DVD? And you owned Amazon. I didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> we have Amazon as a partner so that whenever anyone goes to the link on mindrollingpodcast.com, oh, hits that link, we get a small little affiliate percentage that helps support Dave and I to continue to do these uh, podcasts. That is really wonderful. And now I'm going to hold you. You know, we're sitting here and there's a mug that has the mind rolling thing on it. And Raghu says, I'm those. supposed to get a mug for doing this. He's going to get now I'm going to hold you to Absolutely. this. So Silver won't do it. He'll back out. And, you might, and we're going to have t-shirts and mugs coming very yeah. shortly. Nice. But uh, yes, yeah, so you... Vakator truthfully will be on Amazon. It and will be. Probably on, you know, yes, yes. And in theaters too, truthfully, yes. Do you mind when you leave here, the first item that you you, you purchase items from Amazon, I'm sure, don't you? Sure I do. Yeah. Can you go to our link at Mind Rolling Podcast and, and do it? Yes. Come on. Yes. 
So you want me from now? Whenever I buy you things from Amazon, wife. you want me to go. My wife's not doing anything. First of all, <laughs> uh, it, I'm assuming it, she would spend more money than you. Well, she uh, has more money than I do, but who doesn't <laughs> at this point? Uh, anytime I want to buy anything on Amazon, I should go to Mind Rolling and then Mind Rolling Podcast dot com, which is easy to remember if you're like an Einstein. But go ahead. Oh, for God's and, sake. And then, uh, then, then I can go to Amazon through that and then buy it. There's a link. Yes, there's a, there's a, a, it's a portal. A banner. It's called a portal. It's a portal. A portal. And, we, and if you, you go to it, you may get it. sucked I know a woman right named through Portal it. one time, but that's another Okay, story. no, that's not Okay, good. go ahead. Um, change the subject again. No, no, no. Well, you know, listen, you know, one, one thing that people do ask us, it just came to my mind, is how to navigate working, uh, keeping as much awareness and consciousness and, you know, being in the spirit world uh on the path based just basically on the path and then you get buffeted when you go to work how do you how do you make those things work for you i'm, I'm being i'm gonna be serious for a minute i'm really glad just you a asked, minute just for this one minute and then we'll get back to making fun of you <laughs> one of the nice things and i've just been talking i i teach now at uh, at uh, at a, a community college uh i teach screenwriting and i teach uh, production both in film and television and uh, one of the things I was talking to my students about, because I'm teaching production management this semester, and they've got to create a, a commercial, uh, you know, from the alpha to the omega. And, and, and uh, they're not doing a very good job of it because they're such nice students, they're such nice people, young people, they're most of them in their early 20s. Uh, and, and what I tell people all the time is you need to separate yourself. And I'm going to answer your question in a circuitous way, but when you're working in TV, that's only part of who you are, or any job, any, any job. That's a small part. People say to me, Peter, what, what do you do? I say, well, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a fledgling banjo player. Uh, you know, I raise bonsai trees. Oh, no, but I didn't mean that. What did you mean? How do you make a living? Oh, how do I make a living? Okay, I'm that. So when you go to the workplace, that's not who you are. You cannot define yourself by the occupation that you have. That's a small part of your overall being. The other part is your spiritual part and your communal part and your other parts. So I think if people remember that, we very often, because we you know, spend so much time in doing our occupation that we think, well, this is who we are. It's not who you are. You know, it's the same thing, you know, most of us, all of us actually, don't really think during the day. We micromanage. If you're a neurosurgeon, you're not worrying about the economy. You're worrying about hooking the guy's brain up or whatever it is you're doing. If you're, if you're a gas station attendant, you're not worried about like, you know, the fairness doctrine. You're worried about fixing the engine or putting the gasoline in and so forth and so on. So I always tell people, especially my students, you are not Joe Smith your producer number four or your writer number seven. Think of it, compartmentalize it that way. And when you salute, and when you get done with that, then become the person you are. Then do your spiritual, then, then go get a cold beer with your friends or whatever you do. Actually, and the key here is the identification that you make with yourself all the way. I mean, you're, st you're speaking, of course, in, in black and white terms because people do are mostly identified with their work. Mm. That's who they are. Mm. But if we take it even to way more subtle levels of identifying with their thoughts, identifying with their disturbing emotions, that is where people get really in trouble. And, uh, you know, cultivating uh, another vantage point is really what this is all about, mm -hmm. in my mind, mm -hmm. so people can navigate that day-to-day. -day. So, yeah, thank you for that. That's, yeah. Those are really good words. Yeah, yeah. Um, these guys, uh, you know, I have to say, Peter and David, whenever I'm with them, in fact, even when I'm not with them and I'm speaking to them separately, they have an ongoing feud. It, uh, it's, it's a friendly feud, but I hear the worst stuff on, on each of their part about the others. Now, do, do you guys, do you love each other or well, is it? Let me put it this way. Um, <laughs> when I worked for Peter, with Peter, I think he would prefer the word for, um, uh, which is more close to the truth, which is a, a long time ago now. Um, one of the things I noted very quickly was that his, his extremely uh, piercing sarcasm. And um, it, the most I think I've ever experienced. And at first, it, it hurt me badly. 
I was I was I would go home. You didn't know this. I would, this I would is first admission. I would take the um, the cab from Forty Fourth Street to uh, home, and and I would be crying. You know, and, and this, oh, makes me, this makes me this God. makes me so happy to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, actually, to to be honest about it, um, you know, he was a an extremely uh, extremely pressing producer. Which when you're writing for a producer or working anyway for a producer there's nothing worse than a flaccid producer someone who flaccid. you know what i mean no no someone who just doesn't quite know what they want so how the heck are you supposed peter knew always knew what he wanted he was always extremely um articulate about that with everyone at all times and would be quite um you know would be quite critical if you didn't come up to that and but never and this is not just pure obsequious words um it's not flattery it's true uh, in all of that, I never saw you actually um, ever hurt someone's feelings for real, because you weren't passive aggressive. You would just come out and say it. This Other is, producers, you're being nice. This isn't what goes on. Okay, well, he hurt me my feelings because he knew where to get at me. Because, for instance, he was—he's an uh, America's full of Anglo Anglophiles, and Peter is is a deep Anglophobe. So, <laughs> so the uh, you know true rugged uh, in, in, in individualist American who hates still resents the fact that. that that Britain ruled this country. Um, and so, I, 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 you treated true. me really badly about being English, which is weird. There are about 20, not even 20, there are probably 11 or 10 Englishmen that I like. The rest I don't. But the ones that I like all play for United. Yeah, well, and, uh, that's a whole other thing. And, oh, I'm, God, and, I, yeah. and I'm now worried about Wayne Rooney. Well, we could talk about that for a long time. No, no, our audience has no idea about what you call soccer and like to call football, yeah, which is yeah. the boringest thing well, that anyone... Well, well, the thing here is not football, it's handball. Let's just get that straight. They throw the ball at each other. Foot, foot but, but let, let, me say, a, let, me, let me get back to what you said about uh, David and I, uh, yeah. because we, we do, we do uh, totally rage each other. But I will say something. And, I, and I'm, again, that's terrible. I'm going to be serious twice in the same day. Oh, oh. Uh, uh, David is, I, I don't see David that often, but David is a very close friend of mine in my heart. And that's the truth. I have nothing but respect and love for this guy. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, and I know he's sitting in the room, so it like, really hurts me to say this. You know how hard it is for me to say something like about him? But it's true. So, of course, we do that, but uh, it's totally set out of love and admiration, at least on my part. On his part, I think he means it. <laughs> he's still pissed at me. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, true. actually, you know, to be a little serious too, it's not good to work with people who, who don't respect you in some way. I mean, that's something I draw the line at, and particularly for young folks. When I was teaching film a while back, I would, the first thing I would talk to them about, actually, wasn't how to, you know, use a camera or how to direct or use lights. It was none of that. It was about if you're feeling real instinctively inside of yourself and you're not desperate for the money and someone is dissing you all the time, which happens all the time, and the producer, the director, the star, whatever is dissing you, walk. Exactly. Fucking walk. Exactly. Don't no, no, exactly. stay there out of some kind of, exactly. i got to drive myself. Because it goes back to what you were saying before about the yeah. roles that yeah. we play in yeah. our work. Yeah. If someone treats you badly and they keep treating you badly, particularly women, I might say, yeah. they, um, they do get treated Just terribly. walk out the door and never come back. Wait, now, you're, yeah. you're talking about people who have the opportunity to say no. Most yeah. people do not have that. That letter that we got, per, uh, for instance... I, I sense that the person was saying, I'm in a situation that's untenable uh, where there's so much negativity. How do I bring my path? You know, how, do, how do they merge? And that, yeah. that person was in a very difficult spot. They couldn't say no. And maybe they were in a drudge job. Yeah. Maybe, you know, but a lot of people are at work where there, there are people that are so negative yeah, you're that right. you're taking that home with you. Yeah. And how do you, yeah. how do you navigate that? Well, I'm talking that? about beyond that, Raghu. I mean, yes, you have to take your, your, life is tough, deal with it. And I've been treated, you know, moderately badly occasionally. But that's okay. You, 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 how do you bring, how do you bring awareness, awareness to it? Awareness into it. You yeah. try and bring it. That's but what, I, I guess you, what I was saying was at a certain point, at a certain point, just because you are a valuable child of God, as it were, uh, you have to have enough sense of self-worth uh, to do it. Now, I, you're right, though, Raghu. So many millions but of I people But I think you have to realize also, here. you know, that stuff is coming from someone else, not from you. Right. So you've got to understand, that's that person's baggage. A person that's really angry and and is mean and, and, and vindictive, they're carrying around the baggage. You're not. But then we go back to identifying with who we really are so mm. that you are not being, you know, that person that is reacting to this negative 
uh, to these negative actions is uh, is you're yeah, less able you're less caught in that web if you have more self identification. Yeah, it's true. And I'll with, tell you something: uh, who if, you really are. If I can go back, you know, again, like let me just talk about Baba for a second, Mayor Baba, because there's a million Babas. Everybody's a Baba. Uh, you know, there's a famous saying of Bobby's, don't worry, be happy. Everybody, you know, Bobby McFerrin made a record of it. Everybody knows, don't worry, be happy. But that's, that's not quite what Baba said. What Baba said was, do your 100% best, leave the rest to me, then don't worry, be happy. Now, don't worry, be happy is nice and catchy, and Bobby McFerrin did make a lovely tune out of his great. But the, tr the truth is, do your 100% best. So if you're in an untenable situation, you need to understand, I am doing my 100% best. I am going above and beyond here to do what I have to do. The results are not important to me. They don't matter to me. Well, then you'll get fired. Well, there's nothing you can do about it. I can't, you know, for years as a producer, I tried to sell a television shows. And quite frankly, I was very successful at it, which means nine out of every 10 I tried to sell, I didn't, but I did sell one out of 10. You know, the point is, I can't anticipate what this person's going to say. He or she could want to go out and play golf, could have a date with a girlfriend. I came at the wrong time. Uh, their pants ripped. Who knows what? It's the same thing. If you're in a situation you need to rely on yourself. Am I doing what I need to be doing in this situation? Am I really doing it? My boss asked me to stack those 20 boxes. I don't want to stack boxes. I'm too good to stack boxes. Why should I stack boxes? Your job is to stack boxes. I stacked them. I stacked all 20 of them. My boss got angry at me because I didn't stack, whatever. Hmm. You, you've got to separate that. You know, and that's, a, I mean, for me, that's kind of the first rule. Did I do what I know I should have done in that situation? I think we can all answer that question. You're in a relationship that's bad. Did I go above and beyond in this relationship? Did I do that in my job? Did I do that with my friends, with my pets, with anything? I did. It's not on me anymore. It's mm. not on me. Good. Excellent. But Raga, would you, I mean, just to, I mean, everything you said was so true, Peter, but just to get back a little bit. I was saying walk, you know, out of a situation where you're being abused, but people are mildly abused, like you say, in work situations, and they just can't leave because they've got to pay the rent or their mother's sick or something really of course. urgent. What do you think is the best sort of vantage point to find when you're in the middle of the day, it's like two o'clock, three o'clock, when you're getting tired and you want to leave, but you can't, and something is just driving you crazy about this job, a person I usually. Yeah, I think if we go back, and again, not to end this lovely podcast with too much seriousness, but Peter said, I went to learn how to play the banjo, so I got to practice quite a bit to even enjoy what I'm doing. And you have to, there has to be a practice, you know. Mm. And in this case, if, if you're in that situation, you need to have a little bit of a practice about, even if it's just taking uh, 10 deep breaths, and focusing your mind, you know, on one point, you know, just I'm, I'm only, that funny. No, no, I'll tell you why I'm laughing. I'll tell you why I'm laughing. And of course, you're, you couldn't be more. I'll, I'm laughing for, and, I, and I'll break the seriousness with this. So uh, when, when, uh, when I got married, um, we flew to uh, London from New York, and then we hitchhiked to Bombay. It was the, uh, kind of the, the postgraduate course for hippies in those days. You had to do that. And so we got to the Yoga Institute in Santa Cruz, Bombay, and uh, the old yogin was there, and he was teaching everybody. He said, you know, the most important thing is to take 12 deep breaths every day. And then he said to one of the guys, and how about you? And the guy said, yeah. And he said, where do you live? And the guy said, I live in New York City. And he said, okay, well, you only take six then. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I was laughing. Like uh, that's cool yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but you're right of course you're right yeah no you can't just expect anything's going to happen without putting something into it we can have a whole other conversation about the reality of of um taking action and grace those that's a great yeah. other subject sure for is. another day yeah. which yeah. we'll we'll have uh, another time yeah we'll have you back thanks peter this has been great to yes, have thank you. you very much these Pleasure. two guys uh, we'll have to get them on a little bit more uh, in terms of uh, like as soon as we get off the mic here, these guys will be 
bantering back and forth about some crazy ass soccer team and you know it's, it's so uh, a soccer team by the way is followed followed by 1.75 billion people on the planet i don't know how many people follow the um, it's not the, america you know. and we don't care about if it ain't america right let, let me just say one thing i'm we'll from leave canada that. he's we'll from just, england we'll just leave it. the greatest football team in the world no you're not the winningest is of course manchester united it's a british team i understand Thank you. that let me just say one more thing Thank goodness it's owned by Americans. That's all I can say. <laughs> now you better shut the microphone off because it's going to get nasty in here. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. This is Mind Rolling. Go to mindrollingpodcast.com. We, we appreciate all of the support that we have been getting, but we need a hell of a lot more because just look at Dave. He's got this UPS T-shirt on. <laughs> so we certainly could get him a couple of other pieces of clothing. Um, so thanks again. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.